Welcome to Nell and Matt's Obsolete Movies, and maybe you call this our Christmas special. <laughs> uh, the podcast where we revisit movies from our 20 plus years of collecting films on obsolete formats. Or another way of thinking about it is we're going to be talking about films on this podcast from the VHS era, though not necessarily always on VHS. Our film for this episode is The Omen from 1976, and we do have it on VHS. Purchasing it somewhat recently from Pleasant Dreams Records in Polish Hill in Pittsburgh. So, The Omen, the classic, the seminal. Yeah. Birth of Satan. Birth of Satan. Figured, you know. Sorry, birth of the son of Satan. Birth of the birth of the Antichrist. It feels appropriate this time of the year. Yeah, it does appropriate. It's just times for family. Family time. This is a story about a family that gets a little confused. With a troubled kid. Yes. You know, these, this time of the year, if you, you notice when you're having, stu- ch- your child is having some troubles. Damon's just a really troubled kid. Yes. Just say that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the, the Omen, um, you know, 1968 had Rosemary's Baby. Yes, uh, Evil which, Child. Evil Child, which Rosemary's Baby is one of my favorite films of mm-hmm. all time. And, you know, there was, like, kind of this then interest in the occult and demons and things like that. So we then have The Exorcist in 1973, which is another big film around a, a girl being possessed by a demon. Mm-hmm. And then The Exorcist really is what sparked a lot of these occult mm-hmm. demon films. Um, and so The Omen is, you know, viewed as one of those films that kind of came after The Exorcist. However, I think it's a relatively well-done film. There's some yes. some not Exorcist knockoffs that are just horrific. Um, yes. But this is, I think, a well-done film. Yes, and so quick plot summary. Uh, a child is born or not born. There's a quick Catholic baby swap. Uh, American ambassador who with presidential aspirations they go to live in England with the changeling baby. Yes. And then it turns out, yeah, so Spawn of Satan, there's a Irish priest who's trying to warn him, uh, who's one of the, the, the two remarkable, memorable kills in the film. One is the Irish priest, the other is the reporter, who's also trying to help this, you know, ambassador dad with figuring out the family and convincing him, you yes. got to kill that kid if you, if you want to <laughs> save the world. Um yeah, that's that that's that's the plot. <laughs> that's the plot. Um, and it, you know, uh, Gregory Peck plays Robert Thorne, and so you know, Gregory Peck is an amazing actor. So I always thought it was interesting that he chose this role. But man, he sold this role. <laughs> yeah, he killed it. He absolutely killed it. Yeah. yeah. So I think the other thing I want to talk about. You talked about the trend of sort of evil children. Yeah. You know, and when you were talking about that, it. it I had not planned on... We have notes, folks, for the podcast. I had not planned on talking about this, but I was thinking about actually the Mark Edmondson book, The Nightmare Next Door, mm. where he talks about, like, poltergeist and 80s haunted house movies yeah. as being the... This is when boomers started buying property and the, those anxieties get played out. 
And I guess is it also then these movies are that boomers started having kids. Right, and the fear of having uh, uh, the not perfect child, right? The not perfect child, the evil child, the child that took over your life. Or if you're just, you know, a member of the me generation. Yeah. The, the radical loss of freedom that comes with taking care of another human. Yeah. And that you are maybe feel a bit like you're being taken over. Yeah, you know, it's so funny too because I... Uh, the that this is a great point. And I also also like with the when you think about the Exorcist, for example, and I actually presented about this on a panel like twenty years ago or a long time ago. Uh, mm, that yeah, she bit. she was punished, right? Like in many ways, the mom is being punished for being a single mom. Has been some of the readings yes. of that. It's like she yes. was not the ideal woman. She got divorced. She's a working mom. She's focused on her career. This is a new American family. family. And Reagan gets possessed, and it's like she's being punished for not being the prototypical mom at that time. And you th- you think about that, like, and even for, like, um, in some sense, like, in Rosemary's Baby, they're, Rosemary and her husband are kind of vapid people, right? Like, they're very yes, selfish. They're, yes. Very self-concerned. He's definitely concerned about his image. He's definitely concerned about his career. He honestly doesn't want to have children until this bargain is made that will enable him. Mm. Um, so it's like there's this punishment for not being the, uh, the couple who wants to have ten children immediately. Punishment for being... A divorce mom in some ways too like i think there's like a punishment for the for this couple because though even though it's in 76 like you would almost say they're like prototypical yuppies right they're really they are prototypical yuppies they're aspirational but in a weird way i you know you're talking about that i was thinking about one of the things i did want to talk about with this film and sort of film scholarship is how the american movie you know going back even to the silent era has the sort of American man of action mm-hmm. who gets entangled with the old world, mm. entangled with the foreign. Gotcha. And thinking, this is 76, so this is post-Nixon, fall, post, kind of around the, 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 you know, the era of the fall of Saigon. Yeah. You know, that the the American Dudley Do-Right kind of figure, that's a Canadian thing. But you know what I mean, the American yeah. that could do no wrong. Or the, the, the American who is a young Kennedy yeah. wannabe suddenly gets entangled with the Catholic Church, right. with living in England and being an ambassador and, like, sort of submitting. So it's also this interesting, like, post-Vietnam, like, story of American entanglement yeah. in, in a different world and in a different culture. And so, of course, the priest that tries to warn them has a super thick Irish brogue. Yeah. And which you think it's kind of that that's like really fascinating because also, I mean, we're, we live now in the age of Joel Osteen where everyone kind of wears their religion on their sleeve. Right. Or their beliefs. If you're into that, you're wearing if you're into that. You're and safe. it's about your own prosperity and your own and your own personal material success is a, a is proof of. Yeah. But in, in some ways, like, you think in the 60s and 70s and even into, in, into the 80s, like, it really wasn't religion. A U, like, a, a U.S. character, an American character doesn't necessarily 
really focus or express religion. So Robert Thorne is like completely in the dark around anything around the Antichrist, around anything around yes, religion. Yes, this whole Catholicism because, thing is because is at the time, in. right? Like politics and religion were kind of you didn't try to mix them. I mean, yes. when Kennedy was elected and it was known he was a Catholic, it was like holy shit, yes. he's a Catholic. So for especially for politics, there was at that time. Not so much now. Yeah, you were sort of yeah a mainline a distance. Yeah, you're a mainline Protestant. Yeah, and that is just what you did, and then you had, and that was in a box in your life, and then your politics was in another box, and your business life was in another box. So you're right. So it would have to be an Irish Catholic priest who's like, I know the Antichrist and the Book of Revelation and what's happening, and look for the six six six, like. Uh, would have known all of that. Yes. Yeah. And Robert Thorne would have just been, you know. <laughs> Completely in the dark with all of this. Yes. A Yankee <laughs> in King Arthur's court, if you will. Or... <laughs> I love that image. He's a Yankee yeah. in Satan's court, as you yes. know. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah, revisiting the film in, in the 2020s, in December of 2022. Um,. The other thing we also have to talk about is that, again, we love the series. We've talked about it several times in the podcast. Shudder's Cursed Films. Yes. Which, re-watching that episode of Cursed Films, it actually is, what's very interesting about it is, you know, it portrays, there's this whole mythology around the omen because yeah. you're doing something satanic and you're doing something evil. And, and if, you, if you let it in, uh, you know, you... If you mention it, which is why in your... Excuse me, in your, excuse me, in your Catholic household, um, these films were not allowed. These films were not allowed because if you talk about it, then watch it, can, it, listen to it, it invites it in. Yeah. Um, that, in a sense, in in the cursed films, but that episode is fascinating because it it actually calls into question the idea of a cursed film. Right. <laughs> it's very meta, where it's like, well, some things happened on this film, but if anything. You know, the evil didn't stop the film. It just, you know, maybe helped make it more famous or something. Yeah. Which would probably would be what evil wants, and is that really a curse? Yeah. Kind of thing. So it goes very meta. Yeah. But there is a whole mythology around this film. Um, there is, of course, the famous priest kill. There is the plate glass kill. And there's the, it's all for you, Damien! Yes. You know, kind of kill. Which, um... I mean, this is, you know, to rewatch this film, it is a genuinely still kind of, there's some real genuine spooky elements to this yeah, film. Yeah, and, and Damien is a spooky kid. Like, there is definitely... Children are scary, yeah. <laughs> especially British children. Uh, he's genuinely a creep... I mean, uh, he he's growing up in Britain, that's why. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's a genuinely a creepy kid, right? And, like, yeah. kids do creepy stuff and do harmful stuff. Yeah. And they don't necessarily have that moral barometer yet of what is right is what is wrong. And they learn by, I got in trouble or I didn't get in trouble, right? And so yes. there's this whole thing of, of him just being a, a weird, entitled kid. And so you don't you know necessarily initially, could it be that he's, he's the, the son of Satan? Or is he just a, a wealthy, entitled kid who kind of is used to getting everything he wants and kind of acts this way. Yeah. Yeah. But he's definitely creepy. Does a good job of creepy. It does a good job of creepy again. Those famous kills are really good. Yeah. I mean, there is this sort of atmospheric... 
thing. I think if you did grow up Catholic, much like with the Exorcist, I think growing up Catholic does add a dimension to right. the unease and creepiness of the film. Yeah. And also, you know, there is that sense of the Cold War, right? And, like, could yeah. there be, uh, like, a nuclear attack at any time? And there was, you know, this sense of, is it the end times? There, there was, we all knew that there were nuclear arms from Russia aimed at the United States, right? Yeah, and I think, well, you know, Norman Mailer has that unfortunately titled essay that's in the Viking Portable Beat Reader and talked about the one thing that is recoverable from that essay that is insightful, that doesn't have weird, bad racial politics, is the idea of that everyone living in the shadow of Hiroshima and Auschwitz knows the idea of no tomorrow. Right. Not just no personal tomorrow, but the idea that no tomorrow is a real possibility. Yeah. And I think that sort of end times logic, and of course, no wonder this is popping up again as we're thinking about climate catastrophe, as we're thinking about, you know... Let's face it, life at the be- in the middle or the end of this century is going to probably look very different than life at the beginning of the century or, you know, if you're Gen X, life in the last great decade, the 90s, man, <laughs> you weren't there, um, which is now a line I'm actually laying, just laying out on my students, the 90s, man, you weren't there, and I say it in that voice and... They all like kind of roll their eyes, like yeah, we get it, but we kind of. They probably don't know who Gen X is, and just probably. Oh, they do. They probably they meant do. to go boomer. They do. Shut up, boomer. Yeah, they <laughs> kind of do. Again, I see a Nirvana shirt every week yeah. on campus, or this semester is almost every day. Wow. In the fall, like so, there are some things that are still there. Yeah. At least the iconography of Nirvana, <laughs> you know. Um, I much would rather listen to Sublime and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is yeah. unfortunate. But there was, a, you know, there was definitely unrest. But there was definitely fear around um, nuclear Armageddon, and so fear that, of the future, fear, of the, fear future. of the 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 thought of you know, if human beings can unleash what they've unleashed, yeah, what could we do now? And we have our own environment, the idea of environmental catastrophe, and all of that that I think weighs pretty heavily on people. Yeah. Um, my favorite part, though, is, like, the assumption that it would be an American. That the Antichrist would be an American. <laughs> uh, but again, an American who gets tangled up with Catholicism. <laughs> That's the key. It's an American who gets tangled up with those Catholics. Yeah. And the old world. Which is, again, post-Vietnam parable. Very much the parable of here we are in between the Atlantic and the Pacific. You know, fairly isolated, yet still terrified of the rest of the world. Um, which is funny, you think, you know, if, if 24 miles from Dover to Calais is enough to protect the British since 1066, that somehow, even though we have the Atlantic and Pacific on each, each, each side of us, and Canada and Mexico, that somehow we're, we're just always on the cusp of being invaded. Yeah. <laughs> is a very American fear. fear. It's so not, you know, it's not like you have a, you know, continuous land mass between you and the <laughs> Russians or anything like that. Um, yet we're still, we're still very much freaked out. 
by the uh, by the rest of the world and the idea of the rest of the world, yeah. which I, I, I is such a huge part of this film and a huge part of the anxiety of this film, right. which I wonder for younger people who, because of the pocket computers, uh, you know, and platforms even like TikTok that you know again people are afraid of, um, that they can. You know, get to see a window of life in the rest of the world all the time, right? And can grow up with that. If some of that's this, they have those same anxieties, yeah. Or if they are going to have some of those same anxieties if they ever do have children, right? You know, no, that's that's a really good point. Like it, that kind of that exposure level to others who aren't like you or look mm -hmm. like you or have the same religious beliefs as you. Having that exposure, I think, does make a a difference, right? Which it is opposed to like our my I know both of our parents, we can say yeah. it, are very much in their own way afraid of still very much afraid of the other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And live in terror of the other. Yeah. No, I think, but to to go back to that, so the it it does still hold up. I do think there is some scary moments. I will have to say, and I think this is partially because of um, like good omens. That I did have this moment of like, if this is the son of Satan, why does it matter who the parent is, right? Like who they grow up with, because if it's the son of Satan, you're assuming things are going to be fine uh, for him. Like well, things you will know, be made. So here's the thing: is that a is that a as not so subtle with the son of Satan? <laughs> well, let's face it: would the son of Satan be as potent if the son of Satan grew up into a working class family? So this is why I, I'm joking about it because um, I know you didn't watch it, but Good Omens, I, I watched it on Netflix. I did not read. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Good Omens, they actually play on the switched at birth thing, which is how the omen starts. Is that there's a... A, a, a switch at birth. And that, that Robert Thorne knows about. They, they The priest does convince Robert Thorne to take this, this child. Um, but in Good Omens, uh, you know, Crawley is supposed to switch the babies and uh, the son of Satan is supposed to grow up with a diplomat. Um, oh. But he messes up and ends up with an average, grows, ends up growing up in an average British home, in a middle class British home. Uh, and still is the son of Satan and still gets all of his powers. And, uh, and they actually, uh, the angel and, and the, the demon in Good Omens um, do show up as a, the gardener and the nanny trying to like influence the child to be good or bad for the diplomat because they actually don't even realize that Crowley messed up the switch and they assume that the diplomat son is the son of Satan so they're, they oh. visit him throughout his life meanwhile the son of Satan is kind of growing up by himself in an average home which so you know I, that of course went into my head immediately well yeah like he'd still be the son of satan still would have like the powers that he needs to have does it really matter whose house it goes, grows up in yeah but yeah. i think you know that says something about power and privilege this is true and again robert thorne as a you know granted bobby and jfk were gone but this course sort of and we're left with teddy um, this sort of new Kennedy or that kind of Kennedy ideal yeah. which there was a politician whose term is expiring on the 4th in this area area of Pennsylvania by the name of Connor Lamb who you have to think at some point he did maybe think about starting to speak in a New England accent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he was very much trying to like fulfill that image yeah. of you know 
that visual vocabulary of the Kennedys and the way that he presented himself and his family, and he lost anyway. Uh, <laughs> he ran for Senate in Pennsylvania. Um, that, yeah, the son of Satan is a senator's son, or ambassador's son, or as a president's son, yeah. would have all of the, I mean, he'd be Hunter Biden, right? He would have all the advantages of life and not really have to do stuff you know right he'd be a biden child or a trump child it doesn't really matter both i mean that's the remarkable thing right both these men tried to pave a golden path for their kids um and whether they deserved it or not and in the book of revelation uh the antichrist does rule for what seven years um and so i guess that would have been the easiest path is to be the son of a senator or president or or yeah son of a president yeah Yeah, to get that would give kind of fast track you onto that that yeah name recognition votes yes (laughs) people want chelsea to run in 2024 to replace biden yeah this is true because of course name recognition matters yeah (laughs) but yeah the so all joking aside with it so it 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 definitely definitely does have like these Generally scary moments when Robert Thorne realizes what's happening, you know, that there is something wrong with his son. Catherine, his wife, realizes it, starts feeling like it's not her son and doesn't have a connection with Damien. Uh, then they get the best, creepiest nanny in the world uh, who shows yes. up, <laughs> who's amazing. I, yes. I love... Who's also herself foreign. I love that Very nanny, foreign, yeah. um, you know, Mrs. Baylock, played yeah. by Billy Whitlaw, which... Her fact, like her famous fact, is that she was a muse for Samuel Beckett, and he thought she was one of the best actresses ever, and actually like wrote parts for her and things like that. So that scary <sighs> nanny was a muse wow. for Samuel Beckett, and they That's had like amazing. this long-term uh, relationship. So they ended up with the scariest nanny ever, because you know you didn't have Care.com back then. Um, <laughs> who who enters their life? Who adds menace to it? Yeah, and I think that the way that she adds menace is that once like Catherine starts really realizing something's not wrong with her son, she kind of the nanny kind of throws her under the bus and deny and kind of makes her look like the mm-hmm. bad guy initially in the husband's mm. eyes, which that kind of like not believing your wife or listening to your wife and you know just kind of created this really crowd well, of suspicion. so here and here's another thing and here's a way that the film is dated not yeah. that we're jumping to the big four questions but I, the other thing it i was thinking about during the film is you know she doesn't know about the, the swap no she, never she knows. is she gives birth I, I guess apparently gives birth unconscious as women did back then. Yeah, had a difficult birth. As yes. And it. is a... But is a throwback to an era when... And this happened to a friend of ours' grandparents where, you know, the doctor would talk to the husband, not the wife, about the wife's health. Right. And they would decide together what she can and should know and what she shouldn't know. Right. And... Which is something very dated and very weird and not something that would, of course, happen today. You know, just the basic idea that women would have medical yeah. privacy is something that seems so transparent and obvious. Right. But at the time in 1976, you could still have a husband meddling in in a wife's affairs yeah. and finances and all of that, especially a powerful man. 
And so that she wouldn't know, but yet needs to also be sort of cared for and in herself is sort of infantilized. Yeah. In terms of this family relationship and that the husband's trying to deal yeah. or cope with right. that. Absolutely, absolutely. So he, uh, Robert Thorne, is told, if I remember correctly from the film, she's had previous miscarriages. Uh, Robert Thorne is told that the baby has died, mm -hmm. um, that the baby was born alive but died. And the priest gives him the option of taking a, a supposedly abandoned child. And he agrees, and the wife is never told blissfully unaware aware of this the switch that Robert Thorne is is fully aware of the switch and fully aware of what he agreed to um, in obviously you know because he loves his wife and doesn't want her to have to deal with a, the death of another child you know out of love makes this decision for it but you're right she never knows she never knows what happens to her other child um, and so when she starts feeling that Damien is not right and there's something wrong with him, which they would have no idea of his medical history or, or who his parents are. Yes. You know, or if he did have mental health issues or, you know, was the child of an addict and is acting this way now. Right. Yeah. Like they had no idea. And he kind of ignores all of his wife's concerns knowing yes. fully well that it is not truly their child. Yeah, which is fascinating yeah. and also says something about the relationship or maybe what marriages were like at that time in the American century. Yeah. She just becomes another thing that he has to manage. Right. Absolutely. As this... Yeah. As things go off the rails. And it's... His wife, Catherine, is played by Lee Remick, who was, like, in her prime, a very, very attractive actress, very known for being very sexy, still beautiful in this this film. So he has this, like, lovely, gorgeous wife who becomes, like, this difficulty as he's trying to yes. deal with his political career and not wanting to anything to mess with his political career. Yes, which is also, let's face it, if you're a wealthy person, yeah, um, the the terror of having children, too, is, you know, what are they going to do in their those 16 to 26 adolescent years to, to <laughs> put a black spot on your, your family name and, and your brand? Yes, yes, yes. absolutely, yes. absolutely. So shall we do the four big questions? Sure, let's go for it. Yes, which I think the first question is, is obvious. Is a camp retro a classic or just an old movie? It's a classic. It's a classic, yeah. See The Omen. I mean, if nothing else, I think The Omen, I mean, it's one of those films in terms of horror. I, I think it transcends horror in that the, the iconography of the film, the, the Omen, Psycho, in a certain way, Exorcist Rose, all those movies, yeah. like, even if you're not a horror fan, I mean, if you, like, take a pen and put it up in the air and start going, jing, 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 jing. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, psycho yeah. shower scene or something. Or, you know, split pea soup. You know it's the yeah. even if you haven't Even if you haven't seen the films, yeah. there's things about the omen, the idea that the, the evil spawned, that there would be a 666 birthmark. And I, I actually was reading about that, that, that that concept of 666 wasn't actually widely known. Uh, because you don't, you're not necessarily learning about like that part of the book of Revelations. Yeah, and that made popularized six 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 was popularized. Yes, which I mean, if you like heavy metal, then you, you know. know. <laughs> you know. Well, I do think at the core of it, like as I've gotten older, I'm a huge horror fan. I think I always say in every podcast that we have, 
initially when I got into horror, it was for like, um, you know, like the 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 like kills or the thrills or the the level of scariness. Now Which the film does have that. It does have that. But I now as I've gotten older, the things that scare me more are those kind of intimate family dramas of like mm. what could tear people apart. Um, or Which like, we are in that moment yeah. of intimate family drama horror with heredity, yes. high whack it, the witch. Yep. You, five you, other films whose names don't work. <laughs> no, I mean it's, it's right got now, the term domestic horror is uh, yes, domestic some, horror. Some, what the term that some people are using, where it is, it's like centered around what's happening within a, a family unit. Yeah. Um, and then the choices that human makes, humans make, are always scarier, right? So yes. like, um, twenty eight days later, like the, for me, the scarier part is the military people that they meet. Yes. Right? Because. For the zombies, you know what the pattern is. They're going yes. to try to eat you. But you don't know what's going to happen with the military figures. Yeah. So I think that kind of unpredictability of human nature and what we do to others, that for me is like what makes a film scary. Yeah. And so for this, there's a lot of scariness in how the family unit is torn apart around Damien and if Damien is truly the Antichrist or the son of Satan. So it, it's this. It's scary, but it's not scary in say like a um, like Toristas or you know like the. Uh, I mean, it's, the, not the, it's not torture porn. It's not torture. It's not a slasher. It's not, it's not Friday the Thirteenth. There's right. no Freddy. Right. You know exactly. Which I think that's the thing. Like the you know the kills are all supernatural. Right. Are all a little bit more. Um, What's the movie where death is MacGyver? Oh. <laughs> final Destination. Final wow. Sorry. I only had two cups of coffee today. Is the, the kills are more Final Destination than, than Freddy vs. Jason. You know, it's not Pet Cemetery where the kid, you know, with the razor blade. Yeah. No, it's, it is this. You know what? Now that you, and the funny part of it, and, and I keep coming back to this. So a photographer is the one who convinces Robert Thorne that there's something supernatural or demonic going on because he keeps taking photos of people and there's like this weird like line, line that goes, that goes through, through them. them. And so then he they believes get killed this, this photographer more than he believes his wife actually. Yeah, which know? is again, it's part of, and maybe this is a nice transition to question two about the social, what about the social political distance? Yeah. That it is this boys club thing. It's the world yeah. of men where this gets figured out and you have the hysterical wife and I'm saying hysterical in all of the loaded Freudian baggage of yeah. hysterical and the way that that was a gendered term term diagnosis dehumanization thing yeah um that yeah while while she's hysterical me and my me and my new friend are going to figure this out honey right and i think you know you mentioned it so like not only is there's a switch at birth she actually ends up pregnant again. Yes. And says she wants an abortion. Because yes. Damien is just... She's afraid... At that point, she's afraid of her own son. Yes. And she wants an abortion. Mm-hmm. And the husband says no. And that's it. She yes. Has and no, he has to... And he she has, has to no give. choice in it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's even a scene where um, Damien actually knocks her and she falls off a, a the se- falls off the second floor um, railing or staircase or wherever she was 
And she was like, I know something's not right. I don't want to have another child. I'm afraid yeah. of having another child. And he just says, no, and that's it. That's the end of the conversation. And it's not even a conversation. He says, no, you're having it, having the child. And that that's, you know, and especially now, right, with, with abortion rights <laughs> being taken away. Um, yeah. That, that's scary, that thought of, like, yeah, you would have had to have your husband's a man's permission. permission for it. Uh, and we kind of forget, like, I forget, because I was born with all these privileges. I can and have freedoms. my freedoms. I can own my own property. I can have my own bank account. I can have my own job. I can make all my own medical decisions. Because we live in a state that allows for abortion. Like, we, yeah, still, I can make yeah. any any decision that I need to make. And that wasn't the case for Rosemary. That's not the case for Catherine, right? Yeah. And that 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 scariness of that that level of scariness for a film that and not to awkwardly transition to three about the technical distance. Yeah. That in many ways is still very modern. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not at least for us. I think having been alive at that that time or well, seventy six. I was born in seventy. You were born in seventy six. I was yeah. born in seventy seven. Um. The world that we grew up in is not far from... The world we even, in some respects, live in today is not very far from the world of the thorns. Yeah. But that you have this just massive change. Yeah. And that we're changing back. Exactly. In in terms of how people lived. Yeah. Or how people lived their lives. And it's so funny now, because I think about it, like, you have... You know, you, there's this kind of, like, push for having, you know, women going back to, like, staying at home. And there actually are TikTok and Instagram people who are, you know, showing their lives as stay-at-home moms. And I'm not... Mm-hmm. That's their choice. If that's the choice that they, they, they want to have. But you think in, like, this 30-year span, 30, 40-year span of, like, dude, we got all these rights. And, you know, there's still, of course... And that we can go, psych! You psych, know. right. And I mean, and we're, we're what and are no we, 24 miles from Ohio? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That it can easily <laughs> you know. be, like, psych. And so, in some ways, it's like, rewatch these movies so you remember what it's like to be a woman and that's not what the topic of the films are no but it is a great historical (laughs) window and it's part of the the horror of the film part of the domestic horror of the film and also for me like the you know the feminine mystique would have been in the 60s right 1968 and so that whole kind of pushback against women's liberation and women's rights yeah would have you know was kind of either consciously or unconsciously displayed in many of these films as yes. well, right? That, that you know, the exorcist, mom's an actress, she's trying to live her own life, she's a modern woman, is now punished for trying to have it have it all by having her daughter possessed. Yeah. Um, now, but you would say on the outside, she provided a great life for her child, right? Yeah. She, they lived in a beautiful home, she had a great nanny, They had she had, like, a great support system around it. Obviously really loved her daughter, right? Yeah. But got punished because she decided to be an actress and self-sufficient yeah. on her own. So, you know, a lot of these films for me, like in the 60s and 70s, you see that element of punishing a yeah. woman for wanting to be, have their own, make a, their own decisions and have their own life. You see that punishing. In the 80s, we tend to, when we hit the slasher phase, is punished for sexual liberty, for sexual yeah. freedoms, right? So there's always this degree of punishment that I feel like yeah. sometimes Which is up. a long trail of sort yeah. of morality codes right. and the product, the Hayes Code yeah. and all of that from, 
the thirties even yeah. um, that still sort of is it's buried deep. It's like the source code of our yeah. visual vocabulary of horror. Yeah, I keep using that Scott McCloud term because I taught the Scott McCloud Understanding Comics book this <laughs> fall, and I think visual vocabulary yeah, is such a great true. idea of thinking about how things that we see and patterns that are repeated and ideas yeah. that are repeated and images that are repeated just set us up for the next time we see that yeah. and it becomes kind of a shorthand. And the most famous one is The Final Girl, right? Like yes. That's the, probably the most famous yes. one that we have. Yeah. Yes. All right, so question four, which again is an obvious choice. Are we ever going to watch this film again? Of course. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. The Omen. It's a classic. It's yeah. great. You should see it. Yeah. If nothing else, for the scene where the guy's head gets chopped off with the plate glass window <laughs> and the priest who gets killed by the falling yeah. uh, spire, which is, of course, somewhat visual vocabulary alluded to in Hot Fuzz. Yes. And, yeah. Oh, yes, that's true. Yes, Hot Fuzz definitely uh, it stole, from, it stole some ideas from it. Uh, the funny thing for me is that the director is Richard Donner, who would be known for Superman. And for Lethal Weapon, right? So yeah. like, R Richard Donner, when he hit the 80s, huge, right? Either directed or produced these massive, massive films. Did this, like, brilliant little study around around the Satan, around the, the Son of Satan. Yes. It's a really well-done film, and uh, I hate this term of, like, canon, but it is, I think, if you're truly a horror fan, it's a must-see yeah, it's Found. it's seminal. It yeah. is seminal and it is canonical. If you want to go there, yes. yes. I think that's it. That is it. Thanks again, folks. Bye. Happy holidays and all that. <laughs> Happy holidays. Thanks. Bye. Bye.